This morning, we are going to come to the conclusion of this devoted series. And it doesn't really feel like a hard break to me. It feels like what this series is doing is helping us launch into the next season as we talk about where we're headed. And really, that's been happening over the last several months. What I've tried to do is I have tried to ask questions about where we are. Uh, One of the things I've done is try to name the season that we're in and see, are there things that we can look at, things that we can reflect on that help us to navigate, to process, to think about where we are and, and see how that can help us to take us to this next place. Um, I've been describing recently this idea that I believe that we sit here most, you know, in our life. We sit here in this place, and we're always going through some kind of transition, aren't we? We all have some kind of transition, whether it's a job transition. We have transitions, whether it's a place that we're living. uh, We have relationship transitions. We always have some kind of transition that we're experiencing. And so we start here at that transition, and this is the place uh, that we end up. Now, whether we know we're going there, whether we have clear vision, about it or whether it's just this is where we're going to land. We come from here to there. And one of the things that can happen is that we can have a lot of stress factors hit us when it feels like we're going from here to there on some kind of slide. And everything just seems like it's falling. We, we can't quite get a hold of where we're at. And we just kind of land here with a thud. And we've all experienced that in life. We've hit that spot and we've been surprised and it's been really difficult for us. And there's not a lot of grace in that experience. But what we can do is we can begin to think about how do we get from here to there? Less as a slide, but more in something more familiar. So I've been describing this idea as something like an escalator. The the stairs of an escalator are familiar to us. And then they help us to get where we're trying to go, where we believe we're going, where vision is taking us. And so as we begin that, we see that there's some familiarity here, and it helps us to see this as we go. And so I think in some ways that's what happened as we looked at the Apostles' Creed. It gave us some language around some of the theology, the understandings that we have, some of the underpinnings that we need so that we can think really clearly about what we believe and how that impacts the way that we live our lives. And so that series was really meaningful to me. It really changed a lot of how I looked at things. And I actually wrote an article about it that I submitted that was published that talks about why that was so important to us. Because what I found was what we were doing, how we were looking at that, was was something that I felt like needed to be heard by other people. And so I said, hey, and, and I didn't write it from a place of like, hey, I've got this all figured out. I wrote it from a place of saying, hey, this has been meaningful to our community. This has been meaningful to me in this season, and I just wonder if this might be more meaningful to others. Well, then after that series, we came into this story that we find in the book of Acts. Uh, The author named Luke tells this story, and it's it's such a great um, pause. And so I I talked about this the past couple weeks, and I've said this multiple times, but I think this helps us to understand the passage that we're looking at. Luke wrote two books that we find in the scriptures that we know that Luke wrote. Luke wrote a a, a book called The Gospel According to Luke, and in that he talks about Jesus. He talks about his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. 
And then Luke picks up on a second book that we find called the Acts of the Apostles. Now we know he wrote this because he actually says at the beginning of Acts, in my former book, and so if we go back to Luke, we find him saying, uh, hey, Theophilus, this is a book that I'm writing. And then in Acts, he does the same thing. He says, hey, Theophilus, you read in my former book this. Now let me tell you about this. And what's cool is, and I think, I think this is just amazing because I love how Luke writes. Luke is telling a story. He's a historian. He's, he's about details, but he's also a fast-paced writer. He's a fast-paced talker. I think I get along with him really well because he's excited. He, uh, he just wants to tell the story and get people excited about it. And so he's fast-paced and just moves from one thing to the next, telling these stories. And in Acts, he does that. In this short book that you could, you know, read in just a couple of, you know, an hour or less, he sits down and he writes this story and he tells a significant amount of time. Over the course of, uh, of 10 plus years, he sits down and he writes about what happened after the resurrection of Jesus as a group of people, a diverse group of people from all over the known world began to follow the way of Jesus, began to meet together in community, began to gather in each other's houses, began to say, what does it look like for us to live out the way of Jesus? And so as we looked at that, we found this passage and it says this, because in this passage, uh, what Luke does is, as he's telling this story, he took a break, he paused, he stopped. And I wonder if it was one of those moments where he felt like he was getting ahead of himself and he said, hang on a second, let's put the brakes on. I want to look around and see what's happening right now. I've done this a couple times. I did this on Friday night. I've done this as I've sat with some other friends. I looked around and I said, if we would just realize it, something pretty cool is happening right now. Something cool is happening within our community, uh, uh, our church. Something is, is, is taking place, and I can't quite name it, but it's amazing. It's incredible. It's grace-filled. We've been through some difficult, difficult times together. There's no doubt about that. We've had some great moments in the past that were incredible and, and, and mind-boggling to think about. But then I look around and I stop, and I don't want to get caught looking back I don't want to cut only looking forward and thinking about the future, but I want to stop in this moment and see what is God doing in this moment? Because this moment, as I reflect on it, impacts where I'm going. And that's what Luke did. Luke stopped. He paused. He said, guys, listen what's happening around us. And this is the words he wrote. He said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the people who, all this diverse group of people that began to follow the way of Jesus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And last week as we gathered together, I said we don't look to the past. We don't just look to the past. We live it out today. And that's the point that Luke is making here in Acts 2. His point wasn't to revel in what was. I don't think he looks at this passage. I don't think he wrote this down. And then a year, two, 10, 30 years later, looks back and says, oh, wasn't that great? I don't think that's his intention here at all. I think his intention is that as he looked around and as he wrote this words, as he was in that moment, I think he's looking around saying, this is what the church can be. 
This is what's possible. This is the hope that I have. As people devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, this is what can happen. And so we looked back at this and we said, hey, and and we spent significant time over the past few weeks looking at these words, the apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. I won't get into all the details about that, but just to say that when we follow the way of Jesus, when we get past fist bumps and high fives and actually have authentic, real relationship, when we break bread together, we recognize that the provision of God's grace and love and mercy in our lives found in the relationships we have, the salvation that we experience, the Holy Spirit working through us, like there's something that takes place in that moment. And then when we pray, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we say, through our lives, because that's what prayer is really about, is seeing the world through the eyes of Jesus and taking that and living it out in this world. When we do those things, our world can't help but be transformed as God works in and through us. And that's what I think Luke is getting to and saying, that's what's possible. That's the kind of church that we can be. That's the kind of people that God is calling his followers to be in this world. Now, as we get to the end of that, there's a verse here that I really want us to look at. It's verse 47. And as we close up, as we take this time in this, in this day to transition from this series to what we're going to talk about next, I want to hear those words again, the very close of this. And then I want to ask us an obvious question. And that obvious question is going to lead us into the next few weeks as I invite us to consider the meaning of these verses on our lives. And I have to tell you, when I sat down, I had a very different idea of where I was going today. Uh, Where I was going was what I think I'm going to talk about next week. But as I read these verses, I said, man, there's a question here. (laughs) There's a question that I'm asking that I think is so significant for all of us. So let's listen to those verses again. He says this, every day, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now look again at that last verse because that's where we find the question that I want to ask today. Uh, uh, Chapter 2, verse 47, and I call this section B. This is the very tail end of that verse. And the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. Now, if you've been around church for very long, or had any positive or negative experience with Christianity, you've heard the word saved. And for some people, maybe it's obvious enough to just skip over, to move on. Maybe, maybe when you read that, the Lord added daily to, or added to their number daily those who were being saved, you go, yeah, yeah, okay, that's what happened. But sometimes I think we need to pause, we need to stop. Because it's how my brain works too. <laughs> and when I read this, my brain stopped because I'm wired to be curious. I'm wired to ask questions. And if we're all honest, we're a little like that in our own way. 
But sometimes we're too embarrassed to ask something because we think that everybody else has it all figured out and that we should know all about it and be clear about it because we think that everybody else is when in reality, maybe we aren't as clear about it as we think that we are or that we think everybody else is. And so the best thing we can do is ask some obvious questions. So let me be the one to break the ice. Let me be the one to ask the question that is implied in this verse. The question that came to my mind and I began to wrestle with and think about. What does it mean to be saved? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, as a pastor, you would think, Ryan, you know exactly what it means to be saved, and you can tell us all about that. You can tell us about the gospel. You can share the good news with us. You can talk about salvation. You can tell us what it means to be saved. But I stopped for a minute, and I paused. I said, what does Luke mean by that? What does it mean that these people daily, their numbers were being added to, one by one, ten by ten, hundreds by hundreds, being saved? What does it mean to be saved? See, Luke tells us that everyday people became a part of this new community of followers of the way of Jesus. But I think it's interesting that the author Luke doesn't say something like, okay, so they, they volunteered, they hung out, or even became members of some kind of club that you join. He doesn't say the Lord added daily to the number who joined up for their club. The Lord added daily to their number, uh, the, 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 the volunteers who decided to take part in this. The Lord added daily to the number of those who said, hey, I'm in, I want to hang out with you guys. He uses a really specific word here. He uses a Greek word, sozo, which means rescued or delivered into safety. Luke says, these aren't just people who joined a club. These aren't just people who wanted to hang out. These aren't just people who thought, hey, this is a cool thing to be a part of. He says, the Lord added daily, daily, to the number of those being saved, rescued, delivered. That is a significant word. Rescued or delivered. And in English, that gets translated, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I think it's okay here to ask some obvious questions. Who saved them? What are, why are they saved? What are they saved for? And maybe the one that we have all in the back of our minds somehow is what are they saved from? So I want to ask these questions because these are the questions that came to my mind. What does it mean to be saved? Who saved them? Why are they saved? What are they saved for? What are they saved from? And what it is is that these questions are important. These questions are critical because we make all kinds of theological assumptions based on how we answer these questions and what the idea is that we think it is to, to be saved. See, the the theological implications of the way that we ask questions, the way that we answer questions, the way that we understand this concept is going to have significant implications on the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see God, the way that we see people around us, the way that we share the good news of Jesus with people around us is all tied up in how we answer these questions. 
I wrote it this way in my notes. I said, how we understand being saved impacts the way we experience and share the good news of Jesus. So how we understand being saved impacts both the way we experience the good news of Jesus and the way we share the good news of Jesus. Those two things are tied together. Sometimes we talk about it in our our, our vertical and our horizontal relationships, loving God, loving others, right? But also understanding our relationship with God impacts how we see our relationship with the people around us. And so this is a significant, significant thing we're looking at today. And why this matters is because if we're not careful, because our saved experience impacts our saved sharing So how we experience impacts how we share. What we can end up sharing isn't good news at all if how we understand the experience of salvation isn't good news for us. Now the best way I found to describe this was using a meme that I saw earlier this year. I've been waiting to show it to you for a really long time because it illustrates perfectly for us what I'm talking about today. So Jill's going to put this on the screen. And she's going to put a full screen, so I want you to read this. It's Jesus knocking on a door. And this is totally irreverent, uh, but it's hilarious at the same time. And so I just, I need you to suspend any judgment you might have about something be irreverent here. Lean into me with the absurdity of this so we can see why this is so significant for us to understand. So here it is. Jesus is knocking on this door. He says, let me in. And the person inside says, Why? He says, so I can save you. And the person inside says, from what? He says, from what I'm going to do if you don't let me in. I love this. I love this meme because it points out the absurdity of what can happen when we twist ourselves into theological knots because we replace goodness and grace and mercy and forgiveness with judgment and condemnation. Now this verse comes, uh, this meme comes from a verse that we find in the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation is a really, really difficult book to interpret. We spent some uh, time earlier the past couple years walking through it. And one of the verses that we read during that series was this passage that inspires this picture. It says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. So now as we read that, as we look at that passage, as we look at that verse, we can kind of see this picture. But what we don't see in it is the condemnation. We don't see the judgment. We don't see any of that. See, but when we read this verse... We can see the twisted message that is illustrated by that meme. And what the meme reflects isn't what's told to us through the Bible, but the messed up way that well-meaning Christians have told the story. So I want to say that again because I thought a lot about this as I wrote this down. What the meme reflects isn't what is told us through the Bible. It's not what we see in salvation. It's not what we see in actual good news. 
What we see in the meme is the messed up way that well-meaning Christians have told the story. Rather than a good news focused on the invitation of Jesus into a way of life filled with grace, love, and mercy, this meme shows us the fear-based bad news of guilt, coercion, and judgment. And this mixed-up message happens by just taking a few verses, mashing them together, and then mixing in our own version of guilt and of sin and punishment void of the grace, the mercy, and the forgiveness that we actually find in Jesus. I I, I just want to be clear about that. This is what happens when we take our own version of guilt, our own version of sin, our own version of punishment. When we take our own understanding of these verses, when we take them out of context, we mash them together. And we see that guilt, we see that sin, we see that punishment all together, but we extract from it the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that is actually found in Jesus. And so what ends up happening is we twist it into this ridiculous picture that we see in this meme that is actually really sad and really heartbreaking. That is a broken understanding of our experience of salvation in Jesus that then impacts the way that we see other people around us. I wrote it down this way, that the meme reflects a theology so broken that it's built on the idea that God hates you. And if you have ever heard that from a church, if you have ever heard anybody say, God hates you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, because that isn't the good news of Jesus. God doesn't hate you. God loves you. God always loved you. God will always love you. He is our heavenly Father. I thought about this last night as I sat with my daughter on the porch and we were talking and we were having a a pretty difficult conversation. And in that moment, I was reminded of this. God always loves you and I will always love you. God loves you and I love you and, and God will always love you and I will always love you. This week, uh, one of our favorite shows came back, the show Bluey, and it's on Disney Plus, and it's in its third year, and if you haven't seen it, it's, it's so good. It's, it's, it's one of those shows, I think, I think even if I didn't have the girls, I think I would probably watch this show because it's so funny. And some people talk about it, and they say that when people watched it at first, they were confused if it was a kid's show or an adult show, if it was something you know more like Family Guy or something, just the way that it's done. But, it, but it's really heartwarming. It's so good. And so one of these episodes just a couple days ago was about promises and breaking promises. And Bandit, the father, you know, said he's never going to break his promise. One of his promises is that he will always love his girls. And that really hit me, like that idea, like that sense. And, and that's what we find here, and that's what we find in the scriptures. God sent Jesus to be with us. God with us us, Emmanuel, 
Because God was so desperate to be with us, among us, to dwell with us, to show us how to love like he does. Now we read this in a familiar passage that I come back to all the time. It's a linchpin verse. It's so significant. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that eternal life is here. We don't have to wait until after we die to experience it. Jesus defeated death and through the power of the resurrection, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and in the community of the church, we now get to see the world through the eyes of Jesus. This is why I think the picture of the early church is so captivating because eternal life for them wasn't somewhere where you go, but something you experience and you share with the world. They experience the resurrected Jesus who now allows them to see the world through the eyes of Jesus. And so they share that experience with the world. See, the way of Jesus, the way of living we see evident in the early church is a life of trust. It's a life of love. It's a life of generosity. It's a life of community that transforms the world. As I was looking at my notes this morning, I made a couple changes here. And I said this, regardless of the generation or the time period. So regardless of the generation or the time period. And this is why this story of Jesus that is over 2,000 years old is still so impactful today. This is why I believe it's so significant for my life in the here and now. Because the way of Jesus is as true then as it was a thousand years later as it is 2,000 years later from that. Because the way of Jesus, his way of love and grace and forgiveness was, is, and always will be radically different from the way of fear and anger and greed and isolation that surrounds us. The way of Jesus that we see these people living out in Acts 2, love and forgiveness and community and generosity, trust and love, all these things is so different from the world around them that is filled with fear, that is filled with anger, that is filled with greed, that is filled with the idea of isolation. It's the same things that we're tempted to take today. We're tempted to fear. We're tempted to have anger. We're tempted to be greedy. We're tempted to see our lives in isolation. Instead of being people who lean into community and generosity and love and trust and grace and forgiveness and experience the reality of salvation that Jesus gives to us, to see the world through his eyes, to love like Jesus, to see his love for us, to experience that, to love God and love others, to actually live out good news. Now listen to this translation of Acts 2, 42 through 47. It paints this picture so beautifully and it reminds us of the kind of people that God is calling us to be today. It says there was once a community of believers so totally devoted to God that their life together was charged with the Spirit's power. In that band of Christ followers, believers loved each other with a radical kind of love. They took their masks off and shared their lives with one another. They laughed and cried and prayed and sang and served together in authentic Christian fellowship. This community of believers offered unbelievers a vision of life that was so beautiful. Now listen to this. They offered a vision of life so beautiful that it took their breath away. It was so bold, so created, so dynamic that yet-to-be believers couldn't 
resist it. And this is why that early church was so captivating, why it grew, and why it had such an impact anywhere that the followers of Jesus went. The early church didn't need to run around telling everyone they were going to hell because they were too busy showing the world a glimpse of heaven. They didn't need to exclude anyone because they were too busy including everyone. And they didn't need to condemn people to judgment because they were too busy inviting them into grace. I wish, I wish my friend Kurt was here. Because Kurt has this ability when I read something like this to just shout. He says amen or he agrees or does, you know, that kind of, he just, and, and that's what I heard with these words. These words just move me and change. I'm so, I'm so glad today that as I read this passage, I asked that question, what does it mean to be saved? And as I think about the experience of salvation, of God inviting me to his banquet table to experience the kingdom of God, the everlasting life in the here and now, and to see that in heaven there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no racism or hatred or greed. There's love and justice and mercy and forgiveness. And the invitation that God says is, listen, you can, you can leave the life behind. You can leave behind a life of isolation. You can leave behind anger and fear and grief. You can leave behind all of that. Repent, turn. Accept the invitation to follow Jesus into a new way of life. That the only good way to describe it is as being born again, being saved. I'm rescued from that so that I can participate in this. So I'm going to read this paragraph one more time and then we'll close. Because I think these words are so significant for every single one of us. The early church didn't need to run around telling everyone they were going to hell because they were too busy showing the world a glimpse of heaven. They didn't need to exclude anyone because they were too busy including everyone. And they didn't need to condemn people to judgment because they were too busy inviting them into grace. And what if we lived like that today? That's the question that I really want to come to. What if we lived like that today? Well, if we lived like that today, like this picture that we find in Acts 2, I think we'd get a lot closer to a better understanding of what it means to be saved. And I think what we actually experience in the good news of Jesus, this invitation to have Jesus make us new and experience that newness in a community of followers. If that's the way that we experience the good news, imagine what it would look like to share that with our world. And I think our world would find it breathtaking, irresistible, 
and say, tell me more about this Jesus. Because maybe, maybe that's what the followers of Jesus are supposed to look like. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Let's pray. God, as we look at these verses, as we process and reflect on this, God, may you help us become this kind of people. Help us be so busy sharing grace. We don't even have room for condemnation and judgment. Help us to become the kind of people that are so busy finding people on the margins that need to be included that we don't even have time for the word exclusion to be on our lips. Help us to see, God, our call to tear down walls and build bigger tables because your banquet is your banquet. And our job is only to invite people to that, to experience your grace and your love and your mercy and your forgiveness. And help us, God, be so busy giving people a glimpse of heaven. And by that, we mean grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. We don't even have time to preemptively tell people where they're going. It's ridiculous. Our responsibility is to share the good news of Jesus the reality of heaven in this moment, in this world. Help us to see this world through the eyes of Jesus. To see how you loved us and to share that love with the world around us. And then God, as we do that, maybe we become the captivating community that you have called us to be. That shares Jesus with this world. It is your name that we pray today. Amen.